1: Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. I'm Will Mallard, and I'm delighted to be joined by Terry Blackburn. Terry, great to have you on.
2: Thank you for having us, Will. Nice to uh, nice to be chatting with you. So, where in the world are you? At the moment, I'm I'm not from the uh, I'm from the northeast, but I don't live in the northeast anymore. So, I live not far from Chester, um, about forty-five minutes from Liverpool, where I live.
1: Fantastic. And um, what what are you up to at the moment uh, before we start going back into your backstory?
2: (laughs) What am I up to at the moment in terms of businesses and property? Um, Where do I start? Lots. Um, So, yeah, so I mean, I've got at the moment, I've got 11 companies, um, got about 40 properties, um, multiple different businesses from construction, letting agency, hotels. I've got a couple of businesses that I've sold. So I've been involved in financial services for many years, pretty much since I was 19. I'm 34 now. So I've sold out of a couple of those businesses uh, in the past couple of years. Um, And the rest of the businesses are property businesses where I hold properties uh, or trade properties. That's kind of where I am. Um, Very diverse, each day is massively different, full with meetings and tasks. But um, yeah, that, that that's kind of me, I'm doing coaching, Books, got a podcast, do masterminds, um, do load of content. I do loads of different things. Um, so yeah, that, what do that's you do what...
1: after? What, what What do you do with your day after morning tea
2: time? <laughs> the, the day so on an evening, as in when I finish work. <laughs> yeah. Um, kids. I've got four kids as well, just to make my life a little bit harder. Um, so yes, time with the missus, time with the kids. Don't go out that much anymore. Um, not like my younger days growing up in Newcastle it was all about drinking and partying I don't do that anymore um, so yeah love going to the gym love keeping fit walking you know getting myself outside exercising spend time with the kids time with the missus and work that's that's pretty much my life uh, amazing so age four what were you up to? age four bloody hell um, we're up until about I think I was 10 or 12 we had literally nothing so I grew up in a place called Throckley, which is quite a rough part of Newcastle um, in a block of flats. So it was five or six stories high. We were on the second top floor. I remember I remember walking through, I don't know how old I was, exactly but four-ish, four or probably six, somewhere in that, that range. You're literally talking, there's people on drugs in the stairwells. I used to, my mum used to cuddle us and like, cover, cover us when we're walking out of the flat. It was really, really harsh. To be fair, um, I had nothing going up, nothing at all. But that, that made us. That didn't. It's not a negative. It made us who I am. I believe so. Um, never been asked that. What was I doing when I was four? I, it was something like that. Yeah, I was in a shitty area. Probably not doing very much. Is the short answer.
1: And you, you toddled off to school. For, uh, once you, you sidestepped around the, the the dealers in the stairwell.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, field school, it was shocking at school. I was like, I think it's a little bit different now. You know, I've got, I've got four kids, and it's actually quite cool to be clever now, which I think is a good thing. Certainly, where I grew up, it was cool to be the naughty lad, to be the chav, to be the lad that was taking drugs, the lad that was really naughty, the lad was getting into fights. So, I was the naughtiest kid in my year, and I was the the, the biggest chav in my year. So, um, school was, yeah, a bit of a whirlwind for me. Um,
1: yeah, and and did any uh, teachers or uh, adults have a positive influence uh, through your school days?
2: No, not at all. Um, all the teachers hated us. I, I didn't like the teachers either. I I, I was very very um, hard work. I was like I challenge. I remember specifically challenging everything, and I've still got this in his now. I challenged the teachers constantly. I remember being in science and they were like put this chemical into this chemical and it'll go purple i was like well what's the point and they were like well <laughs> you know because this does it i was like i'm not bothered this doesn't why do i have to do this nonsense doesn't it's not like and I, I, I had this back then like when i was i don't know 12 or 14 or whatever like this isn't going to benefit me in my life i've never used a bunsen burner since science i don't know about you it was nonsense, and I was right. I, I never used them since. It was complete nonsense. And, and, but I, met, I remember challenging everybody. All of the teachers literally did put us down, you know, send us out the class. You're not going to amount to anything. All of that type stuff. So I was that kid that was just a nightmare. Um, I, I was yeah. never
1: that kid. I, I'd always be that
2: kid's match Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, and, and I didn't really have, to answer the other part of your question, I didn't really have any other role models growing up either. You know, I didn't see much of my dad at all, but most of my childhood, um, he came into my life sort of a little bit later on, but like, I didn't, you know, he's certainly not like a role model either. I didn't really have anybody to model myself on or or, or anything um, until I got into sort of business. Like,
1: and, and so what happened at um, uh, end of end of your secondary school career? What, what, what was the transition and what, what did you get into? So I was
2: told by me mum, like, you get in a trade, because that's all you're going for. It was either like the army, but I was probably too naughty to go in the army, too much of a, um, a rebel to go in the army, or like you need to go and get a trade. So I went from age 16 to age 19. I was a joiner, I was a carpenter. And I hated it. Um, again, I had this authority thing because I was the apprentice. It was like, Terry, you go make the cups of tea. And I was like, no, you go make the cups of tea. You have to make the cups of tea. You're the apprentice. Well, no, I don't. I'm, I'm an apprentice joiner, not an apprentice <laughs> or tea maker. And I just had it. And then as an apprentice, you, you have to like work with a gang of, of of other tradesmen. So I was with this group of builders and they hated work with us because I was so argumentative and disruptive. So I'm <laughs> different one and then the different one I used to work myself with them and then I got and I just got moved constantly and then as soon as I finished my apprenticeship they either keep you on or they get rid of you so I was like get rid of him straight away (laughs) He's too argumentative um I did some some join me work after that then I got into sales and that was the that was kind of the turning point at, at 19. So yeah, uh,
1: and so so coming off site and getting into sales and was it inside sales or out, outside sales? What were you?
2: So it was all face to face, and it was all at the start. I mean, because I was young and naive, I didn't know any different. It was like literally, we had a morning meeting within we a week's training course, and we could sell life insurance. Believe it or not, back in the day, um, hardly regulated like it is now. Like, we'd done a week's training course, and then you could literally sell life insurance the next week. And it was literally like, Terry, you're going down this high street today. This is your script. Say this and walk into those businesses and knock on those doors. Because I was so naive, it was like, I was like, okay then. Imagine doing that to people these days. Imagine doing that to 19-year-olds now. They would shit themselves. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. They would absolutely... Old, no. they? They were absolutely, uh, most people you would shit themselves when you've got a all cold. But because I was young, I just didn't know any different. Um, And I think the only reason that I'd, I'd done what I was told, because I was used to doing the opposite to what I was told, was because then they said, if you sell, you make this much money. And I was like, okay then. And,
1: and, uh, uh, I'll yeah, give that a go.
2: Be, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But But that gave us the tough skin that I've got now. Like, I'm not bothered about speaking to anybody. You know, I've spoke to billionaires before. I've spoke to some really high net individuals and it doesn't phase me in the slightest one bit. I would speak to anybody, but it's partly down to the, the I think, me tough skin that I developed at 19 doing that.
1: Yeah. I, I I don't think it's too tough compared to talking back to builders when you're the 19 year old apprentice or 16 year old apprentice. <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, I don't know why I had such a chip on my shoulder, and I don't know why I was so argumentative. But that's just—I I just was. That's just who I Who I used to be.
1: Uh, and presumably, uh, like, like the, uh, the sales training and and actually getting out and a bit of experience and talking to people, uh, did your mindset shift um, in terms of how you viewed other people? Um. Yeah, definitely.
2: I mean, I. I it was more like when I was a joiner and people were telling us what to do, I didn't I, I, didn't really respect them. And I'm not saying that that's right. I didn't respect the teachers. So that's probably why I was a bit like that. But then when I got into sales, there was people making loads and loads of money. And I, in my head, I respected them because they were making loads of money and that's what I wanted. So I think that's why I listened to them and kind of, So, yeah, to answer your question, it did change what I thought of some people. And I put money on a massive pedestal. I must be honest, at the start, the whole reason I was in that career in sales was to make money. That that was my sole focus for a few years, and I I did make a lot of money. I was making 80, 90 grand when I was 19, and that's that's 15 years ago. That was a lot of money back then. That's a lot of money now to to a lot of people. But, um, But, yeah, it definitely changed what I thought of people. it was like i I realized there's a whole new world now there's these people that can use the brain and the voice to make money instead of the hands and i was like wow and these people are driving around in amazing cars living in big houses amazing holidays the joiners weren't doing that the joiners were moaning about life and complaining about everything making 500 quid a week these guys were making a grand a day and i was like wow
1: this is mad um, so yeah. And, and so uh, th- there's a, a few routes sort of uh, emerge in the, the, the next phase. You, you get into business yourself and you get into property. Um, so yeah. Maybe talk us through one of those and, uh, and how the two interact.
2: Yeah, so um, I was making good money at age 19, 19 till about 21, I worked for this American company. 21 to 24, I worked for a different American company, um, again, selling life insurance, and then when I was 24, I thought, like, I can do this myself, I had a team of about 40 people, to give you an idea, a 22 year old, 23 year old, whatever I was, had 40 odd people working for us, that was quite a challenge, so I thought, you know what, I can do this myself, I can run a business like this, I'm already pretty much running a business, got a big team, I can do it myself, so I started to make, Decent, decent money when I was 24. Um, although I was still making your six figures prior to that, so I started to do some property when I was like 21, 22, as in I'd done it completely wrong. I was buying low value, buy to let cash in horrific areas with DSS tenants, like that was my model. I did no financial education, no mentor, no nothing. I just literally done what I thought was a good thing to do. I had money and I thought. You Know, I'm going to put it in uh, an asset. Um, so then it, it just developed with time. I was only buying one or two properties a year for the first few years, and then 2016 2017 is when I ramped the property up. Um, so six ish years ago, um, I ramped that up, and that went from buy to lets, to HMOs, to Airbnbs, to hotels, to bars and restaurants, glamping sites, and all of the other stuff that I do now. Um and that spiralled into business, and I've always just diversified. You know, you probably get asked the same question. A lot of people say to me, "What is the best property strategy?" In my opinion, and my answer to that is, the best strategy is to do multiple strategies. The best strategy is not to do one thing because you could get caught out. And and I've always just that's the way I look at it. I just spread my risk and I do different things. We've got a big team behind us. Um to make sure things are delegated, things run without me, systemized. Um, And yeah, it's kind of a whirlwind, really. Um, But yeah.
1: Okay, so uh, let's go back to the uh, first business. Tell us about uh, what the original concept was and how it panned out initially, but like what, what happened basically? Yeah,
2: yeah, so it was called Bespoke Financial. So it was a life insurance brokerage and a mortgage brokerage. That's what the business was. Because that's what I was doing prior. I was already doing life insurance, selling life insurance for the other two companies. So it was a very easy transition. It was the same principle. So we had Aviva, Zurich, Legal in general, all of your mainstream insurance companies. We could sell their products. Um, started off, you know, I had a team of people at the previous place. Some of those guys came with us. And we we got that uh, before I sold my shares in that in 2022. It was a seven-figure deal. You know, I had about 120 uh, sales staff at that point. Um, So it was a big operation. Um, But effectively, it was just selling life insurance um, to families and to people who have got a mortgage. And then we started to do the mortgages and we had a couple of other things that branched off from that. But... um,
1: and you've well, got I think all the renewals want- and product transfers and and there's like more and more things layering on the same relationship, basically. Yeah, definitely. It started with life
2: insurance, then we got home insurance, then we done mortgages, then we went to uh, buy to let mortgages, and then we started to do wills and trusts and estate planning, then referring pensions, then all of the Financial services is quite broad, so we didn't want to do everything in-house, but we wanted to do a lot of it in-house and then spread what we couldn't or pass on what we couldn't do. And that was a fantastic business. That's how I made most of my money. Um, and I loved it to be honest. I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, I do miss it a little bit, but I know I'm on to bigger and better things now. And, um, I had to, I had to exit in order, had to shut one door in, in order to open another door. Um,
1: and at but what yeah, that, point did you start uh, start considering um, uh, a, a possible sale of your, your shares? About two years prior.
2: I mean, I, I always thought that selling a business is like utopia. It's like you sell a business, you're done, you're set, you know, you can retire. When it's not, in reality, it's nothing like that. But I, I used to think mm-hmm. that's what it, that's what it was about. That's what I wanted. And it obviously impacted my decision because I was making so much in property and because the property businesses was going strength to strength and I was doing these bigger deals and getting into loads of other stuff. And I was making a lot of money over here. It was like, well, I'm doing two kind of things here that take a lot of my time. So I was like, well, I could still run them the way that they're being ran, but if I sold one, I could just then invest a lot of that money in the property that that would make sense for me. And then, we were approached and then there was various negotiations went on for about 18 months. And then, um, then yeah, I got a number I was happy with it and
1: we've done the deal. And, um, and that was that. Very good. And, and in parallel to this, you've got the property stuff, uh, building up. So, uh, yeah. you, you, go from buying, um, run down by to let and not great areas and you're paying cash. What, what, What sort of started you thinking about, well, there might be another way of doing
2: this? (laughs) So a a couple of funny stories. I mean, it wasn't funny at the time. Um, But the first property that I bought was 14,000. It was either 14,000 or 14,500. I can't remember. I think it was 14 grand. Anyway, you can imagine what you get for 14 grand. Um, So I got this property, done it up, got a tenant in there, and they were paying £385, or the government were paying... DSS when it used to get paid direct to you, uh, 385 per month. That was like fantastic. Got the second one, couple of streets away, same again, 385. I was like fantastic. Went to an, an auction to look at another one in that area and I got outbid. And there was another one in the catalogue uh, that I hadn't viewed that was 16 and a half grand. So um, never viewed it, ended up buying it blind at blinded auction. And then uh, I got it. So got the keys, 28 days later, whatever. And I remember it was a U-shaped street. And I drove down this side of the U. Every single house was boarded up. And I got to the bottom of the U, the bend. And there's gypsies, caravans, horses, burnt-out cars. no joke. Burnt-out cars and everything. Turned the corner. (laughs) And then on the other side of the U, still all boarded up, by the way, these houses, was my house which had metal shutters on it and the door wasn't boarded up and i was like oh my god what have i done and i just got a sinking feeling in my stomach walked in opened the door the smell was just horrific it was animal shit i don't know what it was all like caked all over the floor like bad you don't like nearly past the skirting boards i don't know what had went on in that house Um walk through and this is honestly God's honest truth. I've talked about this on another podcast. In the back garden, there was a horse tied up to the fence, and this horse looked pretty ill, like it was all sucked in and all that. Like, and I was like, What hell? Yeah, like this is builders had three sets of builders refused to work in there. It was that bad, just to clear it out. So, anyways, I bought that one, ended up getting it done up. And uh got a tenant in, so that was three at three eight five. And I was like, this is great. This bought a flat in a different area, which is also really rough. Um a couple, uh, couple of months after that. Anyway, so that was four. So I was on like 12, 1400 quid a month, whatever it was. I was thinking this is great. I've like uncovered something here that I never read any books on anything, never done any, you know, YouTube or podcast. They weren't even around back then. And I was like, this is fantastic. And then I was on the treadmill. The sorry the cross trainer at the gym. And I remember I getting a phone call. Is that Terry Blackburn? Yeah, it was a police. You own such and such a street. I was like, Yeah, what do you know about this tenant? In such and such street. I was like, Well, nothing, really. It's rented out, blah blah blah. Turned out that he was a big-time drug dealer, I was told, and someone was stabbed in the property. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an attempted murder scene. Um <laughs> So then I was thinking, oh, my God, what have I done here? Literally within the space of a couple of weeks of that phone call, I had a boiler pinched in one of them and broken into. I had one of them trashed. And I was like, I went from, like, thinking this was great at 1,400 quid a month to, like, 300 quid one month. And I was like, no, this is a disaster, this. So then I sold them all. And then I'd still done no education at that point. And then my strategy in my own head was, right, I'll start to buy a roundabout excuse me, 100 grand uh, with mortgages. And then I started to look into mortgages. Obviously, I was already in sort of financial services then, so I knew a bit about mortgages, but not, not a huge amount. Like...
1: <coughs> Presumably, some of the clients were investors or uh, in some shape
2: yeah. or form. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, at that point when that happened, that was when I was first buying. So, you know, I'm talk- you're talking, I was twenty. 20- Three ish, twenty-two, something like that. I wasn't really like I wasn't in with the big clients that I was in with towards the end. Like if we were doing a mortgage, it was a small low-end mortgage for a first-time buyer. Like towards the end, we were doing large portfolio mortgages and all of that type stuff. And bridging and commercial development finance. But like at the start, I wasn't really dealing with investors. As I started to buy properties, we I started to meet other landlords and they came to me to sort the mortgages. And that spiked my interest even more because I was speaking to people and they had 10, 12, 15 property. I was like, Wow, imagine having that many. Like that would be great. And that kind of sparked my interest even more. But um but yeah, no nobody guided us, nobody told us what to do. I didn't watch anything or read anything. It was very much I was just doing what I thought was the yeah. right thing to do. Um, which is obviously wasn't at the time. But um,
1: but yeah. And what was your, your own image of yourself at the, at this point? So, um, like the the business side's flying along, the property side uh, was flying along, then it wasn't, um, and then you, you you sort of reinvigorate it. What what are you believing in yourself at this stage? Um, I've always
2: like, and it's it's really not ego. It's just, I think it's just confidence. I don't know why I've always had this confidence about myself, considering the upbringing as well. I've always just had this confidence that I'm going to make, I'm going to do something massive in my life. I've always thought that. I remember saying that to the joiners, actually. And the joiners used to take the pace. Because I was like, I won't be doing this forever. I'm going to be a millionaire. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we said that, Terry. I was like, no, no, I won't be doing this forever. I know I won't. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Go and make the tea. I just had, I had this thing that I was going to, I was going to do something big, and I didn't know what it was. So I thought at that present, at that specific time, I was like, fucking hell, I'm, I'm nailing it, yeah? All my mates weren't making anything near that much. I had a business that was going fantastic. I was buying all these properties. Everyone started to look up to us and ask us, how are you doing it and all of this? And I thought I was the man, like, as you do. Um, It's only until you meet people who are, are doing, in my instance anyway, it's only when you meet people that are doing loads more than you it's then when you start to realise, you know what, like, I'm I'm not actually the big fish. I'm, I'm a small fish at the moment compared to this person. And that humbles you a little bit. Um, I just thought I was the man. Like, you know, making 80, 90 grand when you're 19, I was like that. Going everywhere, partying, thinking I was the man, you know. and um, I made a lot of mistakes, but, uh, it, you know, it is what it is.
1: Very good. And, um... Uh, who who did you start looking up to at this point?
2: It was the people in financial services. So when I when I set bespoke up when I was twenty four, um I mean I've won, I don't know if you can see all these awards on here. I won all these awards. Um, if, if you're
1: uh, listening or- to the audio, there's a uh, there's a, a shelf full of awards. <laughs>
2: So I've won a lot of these awards all over the world. You are talking Berlin, Iceland, Paris, Vienna, Barcelona. The, the, all of I,
1: I, I have. I have to comment that they're they're all silvers. Uh, there's no gold ones. What, what's yeah, that about? No, no. The old
2: glass oh, yeah. I think yeah. it's your eyesight, Will. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a couple of green ones, but they're all number one awards, by the way, because we're the biggest in, yeah. in the country. Inside. But, um, but I get to my point. So. When I first set the company up, I won a trip to Athens and we'll winning a big award. But then it's for the sales volume. And um, I sat beside a guy called Tony Taylor. And we're actually going to do some events this year together. Um, fantastic guy. Unbelievable salesperson. Probably one of the best I've ever met. I sat beside him and a guy called Jason Howard, who's worth, you know, not 100 million. Really, really wealthy guy. Really, really good at what he does. And Anyway, I sat beside them. Got chatting and I was like, they were just telling us the stuff that they were doing with property, bridging, commercial, all of this mad stuff. And I was like, oh my God, like these guys, like I've never met people. it was Honestly, I remember it so vividly. We're on a rooftop terrace, having food, really idyllic, loads of lights everywhere. It was, it was just, I just remember thinking, oh my God, like these guys, I want to be like these. And ever since then, we're really close to them and we're really close still. And, um, and yeah, they kind of inspired me to think bigger and they were there. I just rang them a lot and I was like, how do you do this? How do you do that? What do you do if this happens? Why do you do it this way? What's your goal? And I just, I just shadowed them and I kept, kept around them as much as I could. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of massively inspired me there. Um, to do more. And,
1: and you obviously, uh, have a transition where you, you've learned how to sell yourself. Uh, but then you've got a team of people that you've got to uh, manage as salespeople. You, you've got to recruit them. You've got to train them. You've got to uh, manage the managers if you're, you're getting to 120 people. What, what, uh, what was going on uh, through those elements? Because that, that's all new. And getting people to respect you uh, who, who are your employees, that's a different skill set than uh, selling something.
2: and you know just because you're good at sales it doesn't mean you're good at managing people because it's a complete different skill um and of course I made a lot of mistakes and I learned from all all those mistakes and got it wrong numerous times um and, and I think that's the best way to well it's not the best way it's it's for me it sinks in more if I make a mistake than if someone tells me not to do it a certain way it just sinks in better if I make the actual mistake myself Obviously, some mistakes can be very costly and time-consuming, but, um, you know, it was a challenge, definitely. You know, a young lad being having a business of that size and having loads of financial advisors working for me who were 40-odd years old. When I was 20-odd years old, it was a definite challenge. And at the start, it was like, I'll lead from the front, so I will sell more products and make more money than all of them to show them how good I am. So I... I, I forced them to respect them for my sales figures um, and then I, I learned, I started to read I started to listen to podcasts and audio books and read books on management and find out, you know, everybody, it's hard to manage people and you've got to manage people in different ways, some people you can be direct with them some people they need a hand, handheld, some people you can just focus them on a goal some people you can really, you know, discipline them, it's tell them off directly, some people you've got to Coach it out with them and be a bit nicer. And you've got to, it's very, it's very, it's very varied management. And you've got to learn how, what makes somebody tick and how, what, how they take in information and how they want and what they actually working for you for. Because some salespeople aren't bothered about money. Some people just want recognition. Some people want money. Some people want to achieve something specific. Some people just want a part of a team. Some people just want a paycheck. So all of those different dynamics, you've got to you've got to adapt your management style to suit that individual. And I only got to this level of management skill through you know ten odd years of managing people. At the start, I was I, I wasn't the best. Uh,
1: so, Yeah. Very good. Um, and at, at what point um, did the property? Become the, the you know the, the majority of the focus.
2: Um, probably around about 2017. But when I started to ramp it up, when I started to buy, you know, 10 plus property a year in sort of 2017, I think it was either 2016 or 2017, and uh, that that's when I it took more of my focus away from bespoke. Um, and then 2019 like the business was pretty systemized in 2019 either. because it, this is actually another talking point. So when I started to focus more on property, I also started to focus on, right, how can I make the spoke run without me? Because up until that point, it, the business didn't run without me. If I went on holiday for two weeks, it was chaos. So the only way you can systemize it is systems and stuff. So, so I started to put the things in place, the office manager, the sales director, the sales trainers, team leaders, all of that type stuff. I built all of that between sort of 2017 2019. And by 2019, the business was systemized. Then I took property up a notch. I sourced about 50 properties alongside buying 16. Then it was kind of just ramping up at that point. And and I was kind of selling was on my radar at that point as well. And then 2022 was gone. And and I wouldn't say my focus is solely on property now um, because I'm doing that with different things but it's property-related companies, what I'm involved in. Hmm.
1: Yeah, property sector. So uh, when did you edge your second business?
2: Um
1: well, Good question. So
2: I was 24. I think it was around about... I think I set up bespoke estate planning about a year later, but then I set up Mortgage Genie when I think it was 26 or 27. I haven't even talked about that. Mortgage Genie was good little business that i also exited um and the reason why i set two different companies up mortgage Genie was an online mortgage brokerage so i set that up uh recruited a couple of other directors ended up a year into that business i got a half a million pound investment into that business for 20 percent of the company so you know the value in that at you know two, two and a half mil after um you know, after a year, effectively. And that kind of is another total point. That's what put my mind on raising money because I was only 26 and mm-hmm. I got someone to buy part of or invest half a million pounds in the business in return for 20% shares. And we reinvested that 500,000 into different things and grew the business that I exited about a year later. Um, But yeah, so that, that was the... the the biggest or the, the proper bit, the bespoke estate planning wasn't a proper business, I wouldn't say it. We've done very little, you know. morgie was my proper sec, my first, you know, my second business that was of any size, put it that way,
1: right? And and then, um, see, if you've got 11 businesses, you've been adding them uh, about one a year, give or take, uh, in yeah. parallel with doing uh, 10 plus properties. So, so yeah. what's the uh, what's your your uh, your, your current uh, favorite child uh, within the
2: the business? Oh, I, can't, I can't say that man. I've got staff in each of them. I can't. I can't say that. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I I love all of them. I mean, what what I when I sold the business, I mean, anybody listening to this, if you've sold a business before for a lot of money, like you, you'll kind of understand this that you have to do a lot of soul searching and you have to do a lot of like reflection and I almost had to reinvent myself when I sober spoke um, and I made a commitment to myself that I'm not going to get involved in things that sort of don't serve us anymore. And I had a couple of things that were ongoing at the same time as a sale that I'm no longer involved in. Like I'm no longer involved in the glamping site. I sold my shares in that as well, because it wasn't serving as various reasons. But like now, currently, as I'm saying this, in 2024, I'm only involved in things that I want to be involved in and that I enjoy. Um got a big team, still it helps us with everything. And and yeah, like I, I love all the businesses for different reasons. Some of them have got more scope to make more money than others. And some of them, you know, probably probably I still won't be involved in them if you fast forward five years. But like you know, business, that's another good point. Business is on forever. Some people think that, you know, if you set up a business, that's it. You've got to have it forever. You, like, you don't. You can't sell it. Like, you, you don't have to have that business forever. Um, You can't exit. You can't change. You will change as a person as you, as you get older and as you get more wealthy. You just do. So, So yeah, I, you know, if you can do BRR, the strategy in property, buy, refurbish, refinance, you can do the same with the business. But you can set it up instead of buying it, scale it up to a size, either get someone to run it for you or, or sell it. The same principle. It's just it's just a bit harder, quite a bit harder than doing a bit or, uh, is running the business. There
1: you go. And quite unusually for someone who's uh, had businesses with uh, a large number of staff, still has businesses with a, a number of staff, uh, you've put your hand up to coach uh other entrepreneurs and uh people in their uh in their businesses what what possessed you to do that
2: <laughs> um i was getting asked a lot it was the first one and i kept saying no and then you know i had the sale of a sport going through and i was like okay you know this 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 lad from liverpool i really liked him i was like right someone let's do it that was the first guy and then Pushed for a year and he started to get some really good results. He referred us to his friend, wrote him on, and then I only kind of done it like I wasn't pushing it anywhere um for a good year or so alongside the kind of bespoke sale thing. And then I must admit, at the start, I didn't like it. I was like, felt like a counselor, and they were telling us all the problems and they were having a moan in the wind. I was like, oh my god, I can't be bothered with this. I don't need this. um. Well, something probably turned. I think it was the start of last year. I just started to enjoy it. Like, and I do say no to some people. And, I, and I honestly, hand on hard do. Like, I'm not. It's not my main thing. It's not my income stream. Like, like a lot of people, it is. They say it as an ink, like the main income. It's definitely not my main income. Um, I just started to enjoy it, and you know, I I thought I'll get some, you know, people who are good lads or or, or women, nice people, and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll only work with who I want to work with. And it's motivational, but I think because when I had Bespoke, had all them sales staff, I motivated them constantly. Every week I had sales meetings, motivation, motivate. I was the one that boosted everyone up. But that business is gone now. I don't have that. So I kind of missed that feeling. And I'd done that for nine years, you know, between starting it and selling it. Um, and coaching has kind of given us that back because I motivate them as well as educate them. So I think
1: that's, I think that's why I'm doing it. Um, and what are a couple of client results? Good good, good ones. You can you can cherry pick uh, a couple of lists.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's loads to be fair, but one that springs to mind first when you said that is, is Ant. So he never bought a property before. Well, he bought his residential, but he'd never bought an investment property before, never deal sourced before, never done anything like that before. He started working with his last, this uh, January, sorry, I was talking in like the December 20, what would that be? December 22, started the coaching properly in, in January 23, so last January um, after two sessions he'd done a back-to-back made 19 grand and last year just, he made just, just,
1: just, just explain what a back-to-back is in uh, 30 seconds <laughs> So he agreed this price,
2: X price with the vendor and then he'd Got a solicitor to write up an agreement and he exchanged contract and he resold it for a profit. Um, and he effectively get the bit in the middle. So they agree a price with the, a vendor and they sell it to somebody else at a higher price and they make the bit in, in the middle, effectively. Um as a simple answer. So, so yeah, he agreed that I talked him through it, I told him how to negotiate and all of that, ran the numbers through with him. After two months, he made 19 grand. He left his job this month actually and so pretty much a year later he was a chartered accountant uh, and he made about 80 grand off deal sourcing last year uh, and left his job so um that's a pretty pretty cool success story um you know what with with coaching like a lot of the successes right are the ones where i tell them not to do a deal right (laughs) because they're gonna go ahead with this deal and i'm like that's a shocking deal. They think it's a good deal for whatever reason or another. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is, you can't do that. Do you know about this? Do you know about that? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Like, you need to not do it. So, the the monetary amount that they would have saved is humongous because a lot of people who are pretty early on, they don't, they don't get it. Um, There's been cases where people have agreed to work with an angel or they've agreed to JV. And I'm like, no, no, like, that's not 50 50. Or like you don't give them that much of the business if they're doing nothing. And everyone puts money on the pedestal, don't they? They put money so high up. Oh, yeah, you can have 75% of the, of the profit if you're putting all the money in. But like, that's not right. Like, as, as your mentor, it's like, no, no, value yourself as well. It's gotta be 50 50, not not 75 25. Um, loads of guys that are help with deal sorting, and that's just like helping them how to identify deals, how to identify investors. I've helped loads of people raise money um, via social media and via speaking to the friends and family. And a lot of the salesy stuff comes in here. You've got to be, you've got to know how people's minds work in order to position the right type of offer. Um, plenty of guys have done flips. I've guided them through. Plenty of guys have started to buy HMOs, Airbnbs. <clears throat> a lot of people don't understand HMOs. A lot of people don't know the regulation around them and, and what works and what doesn't. And... Um, so, yeah, that, 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 there's loads there.
1: That, that, that's a bit of a flavour. Fantastic. So uh, we might get you back on for a uh, focused um, deal clinic where we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at a, a couple of deals in a bit of depth. But Terry Blackburn, absolute pleasure. Before we go, if someone wants to get hold of you, what, what, what's the easiest way? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, I'm on
2: absolutely everything. Uh, just Terry Blackburn property. Probably my Instagram is the probably the, the most used page, social media page that I've got. Uh, but I'm on everything: YouTube, TikTok, you name it, we're on it. Um, yeah, so just reach out. Happy to help if I can.
1: Okay, fantastic, uh, Terry Blackburn. I'm Will Miller. This is My Property World podcast. Thanks again. Thank you. <laughs>